0: Hello, it's Tax Credit Tuesday, and I'm Michael Novogratic. You are listening to the Novogratic Report on Tax Credits. This weekly podcast is presented to you by Novogratik & Company, a national accounting and consulting firm. In addition to offering a wide range of tax credit products and events, we also offer a full spectrum of professional services to developers, operators, and investors in renewable energy, community development, and affordable housing. Today is Tuesday, July 28, 2009. This week, we will review the status of the housing appropriations bills being considered in Congress. Then, we'll share an update from the Treasury Department about the Build America Bonds Program. We also have news from Fannie Mae about its multifamily financing activities through the first half of 2009. And finally, we will review a report about developments in the wind power market issued last week by the Department of Energy. But first, we have an update on guidance for the Section 1602 Tax Credit Exchange Program. Last week, several members of the LHTC Committee of the American Bar Association Forum on Affordable Housing and Community Development Law sent a letter to the Internal Revenue Service and Treasury Department. The letter requested guidance on the Section 1602 program. Specifically, the letter addressed the taxability of Section 1602 grants, as well as the depreciable and eligible basis implications of the grants. The IRS has indicated informally that it agrees with some of the recommendations contained in the ABA's letter, but formal written guidance has not yet been issued. A copy of the ABA letter has been posted online at www.taxcredithousing.com on our Recovery Act Hot Topics page. We will also track any response and update you in future podcasts when guidance is provided by the IRS. Now, let's begin with our review of the status of appropriations legislation for the Department of Housing and Urban Development. As most of our listeners know, the federal government has a September 30 fiscal year-end. As such, the House and Senate must pass and the President must sign appropriation bills, that fund the federal government by September 30th. If they fail to do so, which they often do, they usually pass continuing resolutions, which allow short-term funding of the federal government until the final appropriations bills are passed by Congress and approved by the President. As part of this process, on July 23rd, the House passed a fiscal year 2010 appropriations bill for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD. The total dollar amount approved was nearly $49.6 billion, which is an $8.1 billion increase, or nearly 20%, over the 2009 budgeted and approved amounts of $41.5 billion. As passed, all major HUD programs would receive funding increases. Now, let's look at specific budgetary items within the overall budget. The following list is arranged in order of size, largest expenditures first. $18.2 billion was approved for tenant-based Section 8 assistance. This is $1.2 billion or 7% more than 2009. $8.7 billion was approved for project-based Section 8 assistance. This is a $1.6 billion or 22% increase over 2009. The Public Housing Operating Fund was funded at $4.8 billion, $345 million or about 8% more than 2009. $4.6 billion was appropriated for Community Development Block Grant funds. $725 million, or nearly 19% more than 2009. The Public Housing Capital Fund was allotted $2.5 billion. This is $50 million or 2% more than 2009. $2 billion was approved for home funds. This is $175 million or nearly 10% increase over 2009. $1.85 billion was allotted for Homeless Assistance Grants. This is a $173 million increase, or about 10% more than 2009. $750 million was approved for Indian Housing Block Grants. This represents a $105 million increase, or about 16% more than 2009. Section 811 funding, which is aimed at housing for the disabled, was provided $350 million. This is $100 million, or 40% more than 2009. $250 million was provided for HOPE Six. This is a $130 million, or 110% increase, over 2009. Of note, the House did not fund the Choice Neighborhoods Initiative, which the administration proposed as an expanded replacement for HOPE Six. The next steps in the appropriations process is to get a Senate HUD funding bill, and, assuming the Senate bill differs from the House bill, which it likely will, a conference will need to be held between the House and the Senate to negotiate a final bill. We will continue to track the funding measures under consideration in Congress. As appropriations bills for HUD and other relevant agencies progress, we'll keep you informed in future podcasts. Let's turn now to a progress report the Treasury Department released last week on Build America Bonds. The Build America Bonds program is a new financing tool created by the Recovery Act to allow state and local governments to obtain funding at lower borrowing costs for projects, such as the construction of schools and hospitals, development of transportation infrastructure, and water and sewer upgrades. Build America bonds are designed to appeal to a broader set of investors than do traditional taxes and bonds. Under the Build America Bonds program, Treasury makes a direct payment to the state or local government issuer in an amount equal to 35% of the interest payment on the Build America Bonds. Potential investors for Build America bonds include entities that do not typically buy taxes and bonds because they are not subject to federal income tax. Entities such as pension funds and many foreign investors, for instance. The Treasury Department says these investors are important additions to the municipal debt market. Treasury reported last week that early market reception for Build America bonds has been very positive. Since the program was launched on April 3rd of this year, there has been $17.4 billion in Build America bonds issued. According to the data released last week, 34 states are participating in the program. For more information, including state-by-state data, go to That's www.treas.gov. That's Period A summary of the program was also published in the June issue of the Novigradic Journal of Tax Credit Housing. If you missed the article, you can order an archive copy by emailing cpa@novoco.com. If you haven't yet subscribed to the journal, I invite you to do so online at www.novaco.com/products. Speaking of progress reports, Fannie Mae last week released a statement about its multifamily financing activity during the first half of this year. On July 20th, Fannie Mae announced that the company, through its lender and housing partners, provided $10.1 billion in debt financing for the multifamily rental housing market in the first half of 2009. This amount is a nearly 50% drop from the first half of 2008. Highlights of mid-year 2009 production include the following specialty production, which is part of Fannie Mae's overall total multifamily investment number. 1.1 billion in small loans. These are loans of as much as 3 million or 5 million in high-cost areas. 1.7 billion in structured transactions. 661 million in the multifamily affordable housing category which provides financing for rent-restricted properties for people earning 60% or less of median income, $7.1 billion in mortgage-backed securities, $740 million in manufactured housing communities, and $300 million in seniors' housing. Fannie Mae's DUS lenders and affiliates delivered $9.9 billion of the company's total investment in multifamily housing. Fannie Mae said that all of the business delivered by this group used the company's DUS platform. Fannie Mae says reinvigorating its mortgage-backed securities business and broadening the investor base is its top priority in 2009. By ramping up its MBS execution, Fannie Mae Multifamily is shifting from being primarily a multifamily portfolio market participant to one that provides liquidity to the multifamily market mainly through MBS issuance. Approximately 71% of total production in the first half of 2009 was an MBS execution. This compares to 17% in the first half of 2008. Next, let's consider the highlights of a report released last week by the Department of Energy about the U.S. wind market. For the fourth consecutive year, the United States in 2008 was home to the fastest growing wind power market in the world. This is according to a report released by the U.S. Department of Energy and prepared by Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. The 2008 edition of the Wind Technologies Market Report says that U.S. wind power capacity additions increased by 60% in 2008 representing a $16 billion investment in new wind projects. The report shows that wind projects accounted for 42% of all new electric generating capacity added in the U.S. in 2008, and wind now delivers nearly 2% of the nation's electricity supply. According to the report, growth is distributed across much of the country. Texas leads the nation with over 7,000 megawatts of new wind capacity but 13 states had more than 500 megawatts of wind capacity as of the end of 2008. More than 10% of the electricity generation in Iowa and Minnesota now comes from wind power. The report found that market growth is spurring manufacturing investments. Several major foreign wind turbine manufacturers either opened or announced new U.S. wind turbine manufacturing plants in 2008. Likewise, new and existing U.S.-based manufacturers either initiated or scaled up production. Moreover, the number of utility-scale wind turbine manufacturers assembling turbines in the United States increased from just one in 2004 to five in 2008. Of particular interest in the tax credit community, the report says that the yearly boom and bust cycle that characterized the U.S. wind market from 1999 through 2004, caused by periodic, short-term extensions of the Federal Production Tax Credit, or PTC, has now been replaced by four consecutive years of sizable growth. With the PTC now extended through 2012, the report says that significant capacity additions and a semblance of medium-term market stability might be expected. However, the report also notes that with the global financial crisis constraining the supply of available capital for project finance, most observers expect a slower pace of development in 2009, despite policy changes enacted in early 2009 that are intended to push the industry towards aggressive expansion. After a slower 2009, The report says most predictions show market resurgence in 2010 and continuing for the immediate future. A link to the report can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com by clicking on the Research Center button under the heading Research and Data. While we're on the subject of renewable energy, I'd like to take a moment to mention the many professional services that Novograd and Company offers for the renewable energy community. Novogratkin Company LLP launched its Renewable Energy Tax Credit practice in 2006. Our Renewable Energy Tax Credit Group services are based on comprehensive knowledge of and broad experience with complex tax, accounting, business, and transactional issues inherent in financing and developing renewable energy projects. Our work in the renewable energy industry includes various services in connection with the Production Tax Credit, under IRC Section 45, and the Investment Tax Credit, under IRC Section 48. We also recently added a focus on services related to the Renewable Energy Provisions of the Recovery Act of 2009, including the Section 1603 Cash Grant Program and the new Section 48c Tax Credit for Production Facilities of Renewable Energy Property. The services we provide related to the Section 1603 Cash Grant Program include general consulting services, transaction structuring and analysis, financial modeling and forecasting, cash grant applications and registration assistance, cost certifications, place and service certifications, assessments of lease property fair market value, safe harbor compliance testing, various investor reporting, financial statement audits, tax return preparation, as well as on-site trainings. I invite you to visit our website at www.novocode.com/services and read a detailed description of the ways that Novograd and Company may be able to assist you. If you have any questions about our renewable energy services, please call my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office at 415-356-8000, or call my partner, Dan Smith, in our Dover office, 330-602-4600. Official guidance on the tax credit under Section 48C, and that's a tax credit for production facilities where the byproduct is renewable energy products, is still pending, but we are following the progress of that program closely. The August issue of the Journal of Tax Credit Housing will feature a summary of the new tax credit. And in next week's Tax Credit Tuesday podcast, we're going to cover some of the basics of this new tax credit. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's report. Please join us again next week when we will discuss the new Section 48C Qualifying Advanced Energy Project Investment Tax Credit. We will also share some of the comments NMTC Working Group submitted to the CDFI Fund about its most recent compliance guidance. This is Michael Novogradick, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.